Love is a many splendid thing. What? Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Please don't start that again. All what? you need is love. A girl has got to eat. All you need is love. She'll end up on the street. All you need <laughs> is love. Love is just a game. Maybe you can hum the theme song. Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong. While the memory's not too strong, there's a piece of you from a time long gone. So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain, question we ask is still the same. Is a treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? What's up, children of the revolution? Welcome to another episode. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Is This Still Good? A podcast about removing nostalgia goggles and revisiting childhood treasures, finding out what you're supposed to be ashamed of. I'm a host, Sage. I'm another host, Gavin? And <laughs> with a question mark. And we're almost caught up because uh, returning with us is uh, multiple Tony Award winner Adam Boyer. Adam, how you doing? Oh, I'm kind of sick. <laughs> well, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't smell things, and I've got a, a light fever, but... Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Uh... Uh, yeah, shining endorsement for the vaccine there, Adam. <laughs> Got two shots, and now I can't smell. <laughs> We're uh we're at the start of something that I'm calling Musical May. I've been very excited to uh to revisit and see for the first time. Just uh just a couple important uh couple important musicals. Adam, first off, I I'm looking at your at your Zoom right now. Where where the hell are you? Oh yeah, so my Zoom background is uh the Mulan Scrooge, which is uh <laughs> the Muppets uh, top-notch Moulin Rouge parody that <laughs> they stuck into, um, I forgot what this was called. It's a very Muppet Christmas movie. It's like oh a my. TV special from 2002. Never um, heard of this. Where uh, Miss Piggy plays Saltine. Um, <laughs> uh, Gonzo, as pictured in my Zoom background, uh, basically plays uh, Toulouse-Lautrec and uh, Kermit is uh, Ewan McGregor. Um, they kind of abandon the Moulin Rouge parody pretty quickly, and then it just goes into more Christmas stuff. But okay, this has stuck with me for a long time because um, when I think of Moulin Rouge, I think of Christmas uh, movie. <laughs> well, no, the first thing I usually think of is I think of Whoopi Goldberg coming down at the Oscars, which I looked that up. That's not a fever dream that actually happened. Um, but then I also remembered Miss Piggy doing it, and so that's how I, I had to do some digging to find <laughs> this Muppet Moulin Rouge parody. It's pretty solid, though. Do you remember Moulin Huge? I do not. What is that? That was, uh, so the, the song that accompanies Moulin Rouge, um, why don't I remember what it's called? <laughs> Lady Marmalade? Lady Marmalade, yeah. Uh, with all of those pop stars of the early 2000s, they did a performance, I think, don't remember if it was at the Oscars or at the VMAs or at the Grammys or one of a million places that that would have been performed, but they did it all in fat suits. Oh, except like, for like Rudolph's fat, except for Little Kim. <laughs> oh, it was were they weird. All overweight because of all the Lady Marmalade they were eating. Probably yes. Yeah, it's all, it's all sugar. It's just empty calories. Mm -hmm. So Adam, what'd you bring for us today? In case no one picked up on the clues. <laughs> Wait, uh, we're I'm here so to talk I... we're here to talk about the muppet christmas right that's 
I forgot the pretext of the show that I, I was the one who brought this. You you approached me. You're like, we're going to talk about Moulin Rouge. And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, like, put that curtain on. back up. <laughs> Pay no attention to the Adam behind the curtain. Please. Oh, oh, God. Speaking of the band behind the curtain, we should talk about how this movie starts getting hit. <laughs> I always forget about it. And there's just like a weird bald man like conducting the shit out of the 20th Century Fox logo. Oh, I love it. Yeah, he's um, having the most fun of anyone in this movie. And there's a lot of people yeah. who look like they're having a lot of fun in this movie. <laughs> it is one of the most aggressive openings we've covered. Not the most aggressive, because we just dropped Mortal Kombat right before this. And that movie screams the title at you <laughs> before New Line Cinema comes out. Which you would think they would do with this, because this yeah. is one of the, the rare movies that has an exclamation point in the title. Every yes. time I mention this movie, I have to say, Moulin Rouge! Um which always throws off the auto uh, capitalization thing on my phone, but yes, uh, I w ended up watching a little bit of uh, no, I watched all of Romeo plus Juliet. I don't know if that's the actual title, but as my supplemental material, but it was very tempting to uh, to combine it with Mother. <laughs> I'm gonna uh add in laughter, <laughs> so it's cool. <laughs> you can also add in like a third movie that I think of that has an exclamation point in it because it's not coming. You know, I should I should have played one, yeah. <laughs> Ma! <laughs> That's one, right? There's really no exclamation point after Ma. It, yeah, it would make sense, be. but no. And Mama. Yeah, no, there's there's uh, this film festival we're going to do. That's Ma, Mama, uh, Mother, and then Mother. <laughs> and then both Mamma Mias. Y tu Mama también. <laughs> Here we go again. My, my my personal festival, I want an It festival. That's uh, It, It Part 2, It Follows, and It Comes at Night. And maybe go all the way back to like the, the 1928 It that they made us watch in film school as one of the original screwball comedies, and it's very bad. You could also throw in the Tom Cruise movie Losing It. <laughs> so why'd you bring us Moulin Rouge? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, let's pretend that I made you guys do this, not the other way around. Um, yeah, we're committing to the bit. We're not undermining <laughs> it. So thinking about it, because I watched this movie um, on New Year's Eve, apparently, according to Letterboxd. And I think this is the best movie musical of the 21st century, uh, which I know Sage is going to argue with that heavily. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I uh, so I'm the youngest of my family, and so I'd watch a lot of movies that were kind of like too adult for me, or I didn't understand the context of. And this was one of them because I would have been 10 when this came out, and I remember we our family rented this from Blockbuster, and I did not get it at all. Um, like i didn't know what anachronisms were so <laughs> i remember when they're all singing these songs that i know weren't invented yet i'm like well this this doesn't make any sense how could they be singing uh how could they be singing elton john it's the 1900s this is stupid um but then something happened i don't know if it was that first time or if i had to watch it again but eventually i just kind of came to love this movie and it was in a regular rotation we were a big like musical house and we listened to the soundtrack all the time uh and the movie's just stuck with me and every time i watch it i'm just kind of it gets stranger every time like you almost kind of took it for granted in the 2000s as like oh yeah this is like a movie you'd see it's like a big shiny musical watching it now you're just like how did anyone let this happen like i cannot imagine <laughs> i say that loving the movie but like yeah, yeah if i'm running 20th century fox and baz Luhrmann says okay here's this movie um first off it's a bollywood movie 
Uh, no one knows what that is in 2001, mm-hmm. but it's a Bollywood movie. Also, it's based off of three different old operettas smushed together. It's going to be really horny. It's going <laughs> to be very goofy. You have tons of cartoon sound effects. The moon's going to sing. Um, mm-hmm. But also, it's going to be about drugs, and uh, it's going to end with our lead heroine dying of tuberculosis. Uh, so, yeah. $50 million, $50 million please. 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 Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she dies from consumption. Yeah. Is it consumption? I always thought it was tuberculosis. It's consumption all the way through. Consumption and tubu- tuberculosis are the same thing. Yeah, yeah it's just I, the old-timey I, version of it. It's... Consumption is just we don't know. It's basically like hysteria, but for actual disease. Which I'd always like. To me, saying, oh no, she's got the consumption reads like a joke. Yes. Uh, it, took, it took until like today for me to look up and realize that one in seven people died from it at this time in history. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and, and it's, the I mean, subject is Christian's no going to die of it too. That's, yeah. That's, no, that's watching it is, this movie. It's highly contagious. <laughs> <laughs> watching this movie in the pandemic at the end, where she's like coughing up blood, and he's like right in her face, like trying yep. to like kiss her back to life, and I'm like, yeah, you're getting this too. You know, you're yep. not. You don't have much longer, buddy. Oh man. Apparently, still kills more than any other infectious disease on this planet. Um, yeah, wow. so watch out! Don't don't kiss any uh, people dying of consumption. Uh, Do not try time travel tip. to eighteen ninety nine Moonmart. <laughs> oh yeah, also she's probably giving it to all of those guys at the Moulin Rouge, all like mm-hmm. the rich her rich clients, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that Duke's not getting off either. Well, that, in more I ways mean, than that's one. That's a plot point. Yeah, movie. One of my notes is just: Is the Duke the original incel? Oh, <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of fantastic notes that I'm excited to cover. Uh, yeah, no, I really want to ask the question: How the hell does Boulad Rouge exist? How did we? How did we get to this point? <laughs> Apparently, Strictly Ballroom was part of it, which I still haven't seen. Have any of you guys seen Strictly Ballroom? No, I really. I've seen every other Baz Luhrmann movie. I've not seen Strictly Ballroom. I think because I'm like, oh, it's going to be his first movie. It's going to be really cheap, and it's about ballroom dancing. And I've just never been a huge right fan of dancing like that kind of dancing hold the fuck on you're the you're the person who watched australia <laughs> well yeah i watched australia because i you know does that have an that exclamation mark out, at the was... end <laughs> it's just a, it's got a question mark it's australia, <laughs> it's australia. Um, no i i loved Moulin rouge at that point and i was hoping it would be like a repeat of that you know like kind of lightning in mm-hmm. a bottle and it's really not and i think one of the things that is fascinating about this movie is like I haven't really loved another Baz Luhrmann movie except for this one. Like, Sage and I just watched uh, Romeo Plus Juliet last night, and I'm kind of lukewarm on that movie. I think it's interesting, but I don't think it's a total success. Australia, kind of same way. It's kind of bloated. I remember liking some parts of it, but it feels like kind of too long and confused, and it looks kind of glossy in a way that I don't love. And then Gatsby is Those just Those are like... all descriptions of Moulin Rouge, though, too, I feel like. <laughs> yes. This may be the most solid, but it's very Baz Luhrmann, and he does... All of his things are. Like, I loved the first half of the get down, but there's just a certain point where you reach exhaustion with his projects, I feel like. Well, what what I love um, about this movie, and um, I expect this whole podcast to just be me um, <laughs> saying, I love this about the movie. Pause for Sage to be, here's the thing I hate about this movie. Spit um, take. <laughs> <laughs> but what really works for me about this movie um, is like the first half hour is just so aggressive. There's so mm-hmm. many cuts and weird stylistic things, and it's just moving a mile a minute. It's like using every like new digital trick from the time. You know, there's a lot of like digital color correction was like brand new, and right. you know, 
crazy evil dead camera moving shots going through France. And you're just like, what the fuck is this? Why is there a green fairy played by Kylie <laughs> McNogue and Ozzy Osbourne? Uh, Who twerks. <laughs> yeah. So apparently Ozzy Osbourne was going to be the green fairy and then they decided to change it to Kylie Minogue, but they kept Ozzy Osbourne's scream. So like, like there's a part where the green fairy's eyes turn red and then like the camera zooms past her and you hear Ozzy Osbourne screaming. I didn't know that until like two days ago. Yeah, because it's um, very high up in the credits. It's like within the first twenty, and like both of those characters are in the movie for like ten seconds. It's like Lance Reddick's being in the opening credits for Kong versus Godzilla, and then he has one line <laughs> in the movie. He just shows um, up. But anyway, so the point I was gonna make is that um, yeah, the the opening is just so in your face and like exhausting but then the movie just kind of shifts and i really do think it calms down after that there's still Mm -hmm. a lot of weirdness but it transitions more from like um a fever dream to just like this weird mix of like musical farce and melodrama um and and it's it's just almost like it it beats you into submission to then suddenly it can like pull your emotions like little uh puppet strings in my opinion um whereas like gatsby just kind of gets dull um after all the like the flashy you know house party i don't know i don't really love gatsby i love the trailer for Gatsby. well okay yeah just watch the like the second trailer with the jack white song on way better than the movie i like the gif of leonardo dicaprio toasting me while fireworks go off in the background (laughs) uh romeo plus juliet worked pretty well for me i think one Mm -hmm. of those reasons is that i have the script memorized at this point in my life so i don't really have to pay attention so part of the movie is like hey we found a 500 year old script and we're just gonna go nuts with it we're gonna do whatever we want and i don't think moulin rouge has that same excuse built in i didn't find out about the oh no we're making a bollywood film until after i watched the movie so it was too late (laughs) yeah the the tonal shifts in this movie are nuts. One of the notes I yeah. wrote down is like, there's a part where it literally goes from a shot of like titties made out of jello, uh, and then it just hard cuts to like sateen, like unconscious, being fed like morphine, and it's very like dark and depressing. And then it cuts straight back to the like a virgin number, and it's just Jim Broadbent like gallivanting around, singing like a chicken. It's like, I totally get why that doesn't work for people, it but does it, not work it totally me. works for me. Um, just like the the under the creepy undertone of that sequence uh the fact that it like we'll we'll dive into the movie in a little bit more more depth in a little bit uh we should probably remind our audience what happens in this movie oh do you want me to give my the summary of what the movie's about that would I be mean, if you're volunteering sure, right. yeah well there's really only one way to explain what the moulin rouge is about it's a story about a time a story about a place a story about the people but above all things, a story about love. <laughs> the love that will live forever. Um, I don't know what more you need to know. I mean, that was that didn't say a thing about the actual <laughs> movie. It's not okay. even an elevator pitch. <laughs> uh, okay, so what, what the movie's actually about. about It is, okay, yeah, it's about a young, penniless poet who moves to France um, to live with the Bohemians. And he befriends some, like, cool hippies. Um, and they're gonna try to get him a job at the Moulin Rouge, uh, putting on a big show, but Satine, their, like, star, uh, courtesan, mistakes Christian, 
for this rich duke who's supposed to invest in the big show that they're doing. It's a big old farce um, mix-up, but then, of course, Satine falls in love with Christian because he's Ewan McGregor and he sings Elton John to her and, you know, who wouldn't mm-hmm. fall in love with him? Um, but Harold Ziegler, the guy who runs the Moulin Rouge, promises the duke to Satine, and so they have to kind of keep up this elaborate ruse while, you know, keeping their the romance secret and, you know, eventually things come to a head with this big show, but also, oh, Satine has the consumption. Complication. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, it's very it's very melodramatic and it's mm-hmm. very broad. It's like a mixture of like a silent comedy or like a literal like 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 a cartoon episode of Frasier. Um then mixed yeah. with, you know, a melodrama about dying of consumption or, you know, capitalism or poverty in France. In and then also MTV. it's a musical. And the, yeah. yeah, there are these there's like twenty different um musical numbers of like old pop songs, but not just like what I like about this movie is they don't just play the pop songs. They're all kind of remixed or reimagined mm-hmm. in ways that fit the story. So you don't necessarily even think about, or at least for, for me, like I, I don't think of like, oh, they're singing the Madonna song, like a virgin. And like, this is just a weird song. Like I actually fun, fun tangent. So I was such a nerd um, as a child. I remember in like sixth grade science, um, someone could like put on CDs and like free study time and someone put on smells like teen spirit through the Nirvana single. And I remember listening to that and they said, Oh, this is that song from Moulin Rouge. <laughs> oh my God. I did not know who Nirvana was. So I this mean, is my introduction to Nirvana. <laughs> so my introduction to Nirvana was weird. Al doing, um, smells like Nirvana. Hi. So, you know, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, another bit of Nirvana trivia while we're on the subject. So apparently they wanted um, notorious sex pest uh, Marilyn Manson to do the cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit in the movie. Hmm. Um, they didn't know he was a sex pest at the time. We know sure. that now. Yeah. yeah. Um, From his album Sex Pest. <laughs> I don't know why I use that term. Um, sex criminal. Uh, anyway, but uh, <laughs> Court- Courtney Love like had the rights to the, all the songs, and she hated Marilyn Manson, so like she refused to give them the rights. So they had to just get like a sound alike band or something. And yet they're anyway, both in the same seasons of Son- Sons of Anarchy. Weird. Yeah. She also actually auditioned for the role of Satine. Which fuck no? <laughs> I don't know. We, what, Sorry, what movie I've seen is her Courtney in Sons Love of Anarchy. In. She's not a great actress. I, she she I was think... in like some movie around this time, and I remember hearing like she wasn't bad, but I I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm trying to remember. Was she? Did she play um, Nancy Spungen in uh, Sid and Nancy? Oh, you know what I'm thinking of? She's in The People versus Larry Flint, um, which was like <laughs> five years before this movie, and that she's pretty good in that. I would say. Yeah, I don't remember her being a terrible actor yeah but i mean also it's like i don't know how you cast anyone but nicole kidman in this role true Uh, like yeah you're never gonna find a paler woman yeah um, and you're also gonna get the same nonsense direction no matter who's cast i will i will say yeah the 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 hardest part of this movie for me is her barking like a dog (laughs) continuously like while she's rolling around in that i I just can't take the barking it's too weird are the it's occasional Nicole just... Kidman performances where it's just like, oh, this is a high-pitched baby doll Nicole Kidman movie. <laughs> yeah. 
like I was earlier, like the bewitched performance or the I don't know. I I avoid all these, but every now and then I watch a trailer. I'm just like I like Nicole Kidman, but I'm not gonna watch this movie because I'm not into what's happening. And that was it, it my experience like, through most of Mulan Rouge. It seems like now Nicole Kidman mostly takes like sad Nicole Kidman um, roles. Yeah, like, I'm into like that. Nicole Kidman's Lion great or, at being you know. sad. Oh yeah. I mean, but I do think she's very funny and I think she's very yeah. funny in this movie I, I like her as Again. stepmom with a secret <laughs> shout out I, to I do think she's I do think she's great in this movie it's just the barking specifically <laughs> yeah that's that's uh... it's the barking and then like 20 other notes that I made for me or it's just like I don't like what anyone's doing in this movie but I don't think it's it's their fault necessarily <laughs> I, I did want to say uh, while while we talked about the summary once you take out like the prosthetics and the frenetic editing style the plot is like a very traditional musical they basically have to put on an incredible performance to save the community center <laughs> mm -hmm. like yeah. yeah it's the plot of uh which step up movie is that <laughs> um i think that's three and four come to think of it yeah, it's the plot of most dance movies. It's the plot of a number of musicals. Yeah. Although, weirdly, like, the show doesn't have to be a success. It's just they have to do the show because Harold Zidler, played by Jim Broadbent, the MVP of this movie, in my opinion, he sells the deed to the Moulin Rouge um, right, to get, the like, the loan. Yeah. Um, Isn't so the that show the could same? Still be... How is that difference? Oh, like, no, I'm saying the show could money. still be a huge flop, uh, okay. mm -hmm. I feel like. It's really just like he has to play ball and keep up that relationship with the Duke. You know, he's got he's got his money bags. So he just has to keep him happy. Um, there is a weird like subplot that got completely cut out of this movie, by the way, uh, where Jim Broadbent's character is obsessed with electricity. Um, but it's like 1900. And so electricity is not really ready yet. And so he keeps wasting all of the money at this very profitable nightclub on experimental lights. Um, and that's why he needs all the money uh, from the Duke, because he's got like an electricity addiction interesting um, yeah there's so I, much weird stuff i don't know on, like, if i missed frame. that necessarily <laughs> yeah no i get why they cut that out but i just do think that's an interesting thing i've never seen in the movie is I like just think... a, it's like an early adopter of bitcoin but yeah, yeah. For the electric lights you know i think that's a weird time to show restraint but okay <laughs> yeah gavin did you grow up with this movie I mean, I definitely saw it in high school. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I was probably like a tiny bit too young, maybe. But yeah, I, I was in musical theater in high school. I I loved musicals growing up, too. And I definitely remember this one being early on. And it, like most musicals, even... So I'll, I'll say I love musicals. A lot of them are bad. Even the good ones are painful. Like, that's just part of musical experience. Is like, musicals are a painful art form to watch. They are... They, they just feel like guilty pleasures even when they're widely accepted which this got eight oscar nominations like this was critically renowned like everyone fucking loves this movie it's still painful to watch in places but yeah no i've seen it a lot i think it's great to me i haven't i've missed some of Boz Lerman's work but this is the crown jewel um of the moulin rouge i mean of uh of Boz Lerman's work I, I, yeah, I feel like I don't know how you top this as like a director. Like, how do you make a movie more outlandish and like <laughs> yeah. ambitious? And it's so weird. I mean, is that is is that what's topping it is? Is just outlandish and ambitious? That's what your values are for a musical? No, I'm I'm saying if like you're gonna okay, this is like his style or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. This is sort of like his magnolia or whatnot. You know, where it's like 
he has to kind of completely switch gears after this because he can't do more of this. Um, so like after this, yeah, he just like makes a kind of normal but three hour long like old Hollywood epic. You know, like Australia doesn't have any of his weird camera and gimmicks. I don't think there's any like pop music in it. It's yeah, yeah. It's just I about has he made anything under two hours? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, every I... episode of The Get Down. <laughs> I mean, this movie's not that long. This only is a bit yeah. more than two hours. I think Romeo and plus Juliet's like exactly two hours. So this, because this movie got so much acclaim and because like we all have very different relationships with musicals, but for the most part, I like musicals. Um, I watched this movie in college uh, expecting to like it and I made it exactly to the part where they start singing uh here we are now entertain us i'm like this is garbage and i shut it off i also am just not a fan of the opening it reminds me of better quirkier movies you talking about the nature boy uh nature boy i'm talking about like where he's just uh in the in his apartment doing a framing device on a oh no i'm not talking that that, that's Nature Boy. I'm pointing to Gonzo. Gonzo sings Nature Boy in the yeah. in the Muppet version. All right, maybe we don't do uh, visual zoom gags too much <laughs> in our audio podcast. <laughs> I um I, I so I was looking up so a bunch of random shit for because this is this is such a strange movie to also like try and break down all the references from all over the place because all these songs are from different time periods. Like that opening was made famous by Nat King Cole. I just found it was written by like some hippie who like handed the lyrics to Nat King Cole's manager and then Nat King Cole started doing the song but they didn't know who wrote it and they had to mm. track him down he was living under the Hollywood sign uh <laughs> homeless <laughs> and uh wait how are you living under the Hollywood sign <laughs> like he just camped out under the Hollywood sign in in yeah. like the in the in the 50s so yeah, very like back limited in the day, it wasn't very there. protected <laughs> all right yeah i i mean it's a, it's a it's a great song and I, I, it's a fun opening for this too. Like there, you know, there was a sad and lonely boy, and no. Um, or, or in the Muppet version, it says that there was this <laughs> very strange enchanted frog. I <laughs> what I'm is... just gonna keep telling you about this stupid Muppet. Well, that's, that's fine. And that's where we get like this the 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 reiterated phrase in this like the greatest thing or the greatest gift you'll ever know is to love. Just I'm not inherently Sage doesn't against believe in that. Love. No, I'm I'm very much a hopeless a romantic, musical. and then there's a <laughs> Sage, lot of things in movies that do trigger me because of that, <laughs> because they just don't work, or they are like stupidly naive. What is the actual Adam? Maybe you know this. There's a moment just minutes into the film where Ewan McGregor is typing something, and then he says something about like. But all that's missing is love. And it like zooms in on him and he looks like towards the <laughs> camera. It is just the dorkiest thing I've oh, ever man, seen in a great. movie. It's yeah. like, there's just one problem. I've never been in love. Yeah. yeah. And then that's when uh, an unconscious Argentinian falls through his roof, quickly followed by a dwarf dressed as a nun. Yeah. Oh, a lot of so times good. there's something I hate in this movie and it's immediately followed by something of like, I would like this in a different movie, so I'm going to give it a pass. But so much about like just Ewan McGregor surrounded by weirdness that doesn't make sense just makes me wish I was watching Big Fish. <laughs> I, I feel these. 
I, I understand the comparison, but I think it's not warranted, to be honest. Like, they, they're very different films. I mean, this a lot of it's Ewan McGregor hanging out with a little person. <laughs> yeah. That's true. No, they are different um, films. They share a lot of DNA, but they're wildly different tones, and one of the I yeah, like a both, lot more. <laughs> they are both movies where Ewan McGregor, like, falls in love at essentially a circus. Yeah. This is just, like, a circus that also has whores. Yeah, and the... Uh, yeah. the 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 hopeless romantic in Big Fish really works for me. I remember I remember that movie so little, and I I think I enjoyed it, but I remember it so little compared to Moulin Rouge, which just sticks with you so much more memorably. Part yeah. of it is like just musicals inherently like they're designed around scenes, and this thing is just so excessive and strange. And yeah, John Leguizamo playing uh, what's that dude's name? Uh, Toulouse Lautrec. Who Toulouse Lautrec? I definitely know of him through this movie, but he was like a real person. He was like yeah. a real dwarf who well, like hung out with all these bohemians and artists. But he wasn't totally, he was kind of an artist himself, but he's sort of like on the, the fringes. And it seems like he really wanted to be you so, know connected. I, and then he like remember, died of alcoholism like two years yeah. after this movie. Not consumption? <laughs> no, just alcoholism. So there's like a shot in the movie where he's just like drinking sad, like singing yeah. slash crying. And it's like. It's a weird moment if you don't know the context, but if you know that he's going to die from alcoholism a bit later, it like kind of takes on this different uh, okay. meaning. Yeah, he was kind of he was he was a big deal, like mostly and for doing he painted the posters of the real Moulin Rouge, okay. which are pretty famous. Like that's those are well known. And um, my dad, I remember like whenever I'd watch this movie, he'd talk about Toulouse Lautrec because he was a very influential artist. My dad's a painter. And, um, like I have books of his work in my house. Um, I was actually leafing through one while watching this just to be a little snobby about it. And, uh, he was, he was born to like pretty rich parents, but his parents were first cousins. And so he's actually doesn't have stunted growth. He just doesn't have the best genes and got in an accident and his legs never recovered or grew. So he has like a normal sized torso and short legs. So he's like Hank Hill's dad on yeah, King of the Hill? I suppose so. Um, <laughs> There's just a whole thing about his, <laughs> Hank Hill's dad who lost his shins in uh, Korea. Oh. <laughs> and so he's just yeah. like 4'10", but he's just, you know, just goes from knees to ankles. Anyway. I was thinking more yeah, of Lieutenant Dan situation. <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, you know, Z Zidler, or Ziegler was also, that's the real guy who ran Moulin Rouge. And, like... This movie has one black person in it, which always read a little strange to me. But named that's also Cho named Cho Chocolat. Chocolat, yeah. He's this actually movie predicted a very... Chocolat. <laughs> which... He's actually a very famous uh, black dancer and part of a comedy duo of like a white guy and a black guy who were famous in the Moulin Rouge's yeah. scene. This movie weirdly like it seems like it was made by like art history nerds. Like oh, there's, totally. there's so much, you know, backstory for like every like weird extra or, you know, all this sort of trivia that is just kind of on the edges. And like, you, you feel it, even though I don't understand it. Cause I'm not like an art history person. And, you know, I've never been to France or anything. I, I do wonder if people from France hate this movie. Oh, well I could tell you because I texted uh, my French friend who actually lives in Montmartre or, and it, the Moulin Rouge, the actual building, isn't actually in Monrad. It's in the the eighteenth yeah. era Dosment. Uh, sorry, um, it uh, did actually have an elephant, which I think is kind of wild. Like. Yeah, no, there's there's <laughs> elements, and I'm not gonna nitpick too much, especially considering this all takes place just in a building. It's not an exploration of the neighborhood like Amelie or something. 
Um, but I texted French my friends do hate to Amelie. ask we can... <laughs> what she thought about uh, Moulin Rouge and her response. Her one sentence response was, there is nothing French about this movie. <laughs> so she loves it, right? There is nothing French about this movie. Yeah. Although knowing like French people's sense of humor, I do feel like they would like the comedy aspects. Like French people, from what I can tell um, over the years, like really love very broad, very sexual humor. Um, I worked on like a web series and just like it was like produced by a French company and all their notes were just to like make it hornier. Like, like, can yeah. somebody be grabbing somebody's boobs in this scene? Can like, we add anything? a horny skunk into this? Yeah. Can we add more awooga sound effects? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which this movie definitely does. The sound effects alone in this movie are blockers. Yeah. And they're like spectacular, wild. spectacular number where they're just bouncing up and down and they just add like wiggly jello sounds for their legs. It's, it's mm-hmm. so bizarre. Like, even if you hate this movie, which I understand, like you have to kind of respect the commitment to make this movie mm-hmm. and to at any turn, they could have made this more of a standard kind of typical, just musical. Like it could have very could easily have made, been the yeah. greatest showman. That is um, one of my notes. Why is this not just the greatest showman? <laughs> well, oh, I mean, the greatest so showman tries greatest to do this. Showman. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I definitely think, um, there are things I like about the greatest showman, but like stylistically you watch like there are scenes where it, they're just ripping off Moulin Rouge, but they're not like committing to it. Like yeah. there's a, the scene with um, Michelle Williams and Hugh Jackman on like a rooftop and it's kind of got like the painted artificial background, like in the, the elephant love medley scene in this. Okay. Um, but they, they're not pushing the stylize, stylization enough. It just kind of looks cheap. Well, to, to me, like that was heralding back to a lot before Moulin Rouge. Like these are more, yeah classic than fantastical even though greatest showman takes place mostly in a circus uh is still harking back to to older musicals for me I, uh, the I'm bar scene in that is the strongest but like that's that other scene with the the, the tin and his kids and mm-hmm. the uh, visions is again like it's very strong but like the energy is nowhere near comparable like any well, of the songs in this movie that, it's just uh, low energy and the the like romance in there is just so much more like look, i'm not gonna I mean, spend too quiet. much time defending the greatest showman because it's not a great movie it's kind of bare bare i mean it is the I greatest show it is the greatest <laughs> show that is correct um i think a, a lot of the energy that you're talking about in moulin rouge the reason it doesn't work for me is because i think the editing fucks most things up um like the so I can't get a read on like any of the choreography and any of the songs. And I think a lot of a lot of a musical to me, it's more interesting to watch people dance than to hear them not actually sing, to hear them lip sync because god damn Baz Luhrmann loves his ADR. He doesn't even try to make things seem like it's in the in the same environments. Um to wit, during that first opening number where they're at the Moulin Rouge. Uh, oh, so good. There's a great shot, or what should be a great shot, where all the top hats go up in the air. And it's not like, it's not in slow motion. It's not anything. It cuts rapidly between three different words, three different angles of it. Like an outside, and it's just like, so why would you why would you ruin that moment and you may not have to agree with me about that moment but i have 200 more examples of just oh why did we cut to this weird angle of ewan mcgregor's face covering half of it with like all the digital background for half of a second this movie gave me a headache (laughs) yeah the editing in this movie is very frenetic and um 
intentionally like chaotic and um disorienting mm-hmm. and and that is, that is a, definitely a fair point i would say and you know there are a lot of musicals i love because like it slows down and it goes to like a wide shot and you can just appreciate the choreography and you know you watch like an old gene kelly musical that's and you definitely get that um, those are those are different. This is this is a movie that's trying to capture the idea of Ewan McGregor being thrown into this bohemian circus, moving from London. Though, like he's supposed to be in over his head, confused. Things are moving a million miles a minute. Like that is a subjective use of editing. This is supposed to be almost too much, and I think it succeeds in that. And usually, like I can understand. Like to me, uh, one of my one thing that I, I know a lot of people love spring breakers, but to me it was just exhausting because the repetition just beats you over the head until you want to go home, which is the point. Like that's what he's trying to do with that movie as well. But this is something that like this exhaustion is like kind of fun and exciting to me when that's something that you, that they achieve in this really well. Yeah, like, it, it is like if a, it was a, a different trip. movie, this wouldn't work, but because it's this movie and like, I think they achieved something with that. See, I think they do a very similar thing in Romeo plus Juliet, and most of that, the non-Jamie Kennedy stuff in that works for me. <laughs> I, I, I I agree, I mean, but I... You make it sound like this it, is a conscious choice made for this movie as opposed to this is what Baz Luhrmann does all the time always. <laughs> right, and I, I think this is where it works the best. I think Romeo and Juliet, like, sometimes it works, but that movie doesn't have the same energy because part of it is that movie starts out so aggressively exciting and then you have to do Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, that, that's, that's my problem. <laughs> that's with the that rough movie. part. Is like, unfortunately, it's still Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> um, your listeners couldn't see, but I was biting my thumb at Sage. Uh, <laughs> do you bite your thumb at me? <laughs> I bite my thumb at these, sir. Um, all right, um, I'm just gonna re- reading from some of my notes. This movie starts the way every movie should, uh, with John Leguizamo in clown makeup singing in a windmill. Um, yeah, the I, hills are alive. Yeah, did, my note is: Did they? Right, the sound of music. <laughs> There's, um, all right, I want to figure out why it's like the Forrest the, Gump the thing. medley of existing music that's worked for me in like certain music. I remember watching um, uh, Return it? to the Forbidden Planet. <laughs> well, here's the thing: this works for me. Yeah, well, that's a stage play. I don't know if they, I don't know if that's actually a a movie, but I watched a musical version of it, and it is using like um, it's it's a mashup of a bunch of different Shakespeare plays. Mm-hmm. And it uses music from the 60s. Uh, a Knight's Tale also does this anachronistic music in a way that works for me, although I don't think they're actually singing along with it at any time. Uh, no. But another movie that I love that just mashes up popular songs and uses it to tell this sort of story is Happy Feet. And I would love to figure out why the hell that movie works for me and this one doesn't. I mean, Happy Feet's a very good time. I... I, I... I remember A Knight's Tale almost working. It kind of skates by on uh, the lead's charm. But, like, and Paul Jukebox, Jukebox musicals are tough for me. This is one of a few, like, I haven't brought myself to watch Mamma Mia because I just have a feeling right. I'd be or frustrated Rock of the whole Ages time. Or... Rock of Ages looks awful yeah. to me. All those, uh, who's the guy that does all of those? Those are the same. Rob Marshall does a couple of these, right? Or um, not, not really. Rob Marshall's movies... Um... Are usually just like adaptations of like existing ones because like he did oh, Chicago he did and Into the Woods, right, mm-hmm. uh, and um, Nine, which I don't know if Nine is a jukebox musical. That's like a musical based off of Eight and a Half, <laughs> oh, yes. which right sounds bad. Yeah, I mean, I'm su- <laughs> I'm kind of surprised in that way that this works for me as well as it does. And there are parts that are, again, even cringier than usual. With like 
You know, it smells like Teen Spirit being woven in there. I it don't works, like that, but barely. I, uh, it would be much what, better. Can without I say that? one? Can I say one more thing about the Muppet uh, parody? Um, <laughs> they do that. They do that part, but it's like all the chickens uh, singing Lady Marmalade, and then all these penguins dressed in suits come out uh, singing "Smells Like Teen Spirit." But of course, because they're animals, they don't say the lyrics. <laughs> And I do think it works better. I mean, <laughs> just with random animal sounds. The Muppet movie was when all the chickens come out and sing the CeeLo song. Yeah, it's like, basically it's, that. It's but... perfect. Cluck you. They don't call it in the in the movie, mm-hmm, but they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I first of all, Nature Boy that opens this is done great, and when Ewan McGregor does sing Elton John's uh, "Your Song," yeah, I, I mean, it gets me every time. Like. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna say I, I would consider myself to be a straight uh, heterosexual man. Mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor gives me doubts in this movie. Like <laughs> Ewan McGregor is so attractive in this movie, and like he's got such a gorgeous voice. I I was thinking, you know, I was like looking on Spotify, and like, oh, is he saying in anything else? Because he's got such a great voice. Is it him singing? It is. It's him. him singing, yeah, right? it's okay. him and Nicole Kidman both doing all wow. their own singing. I think the only person who doesn't sing is Jim Broadbent. They got like an opera singer for him. Mm-hmm. But I've found there's been one can, other can, time can. where Ewan McGregor is sung in a movie, and it's the stupid Beauty and the Beast remake where he plays the candle guy. Isn't he in? Is he he in Velvet Goldmine? Um, I don't know. Okay, so all right, so yeah, no, he's got some pipes. I'm gonna argue for that. I don't. Yeah, I don't like him in this also... movie because of what he has to do. <laughs> if I had watched this movie before anything else, I would have thought Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman were subpar actors. <laughs> I'm that I'm surprised. A fun thing I realized is like, of course, this movie went long. Like, how do you fucking schedule this movie? I would argue the <laughs> plot insane. doesn't start until an hour in. Uh, yeah, I think this movie is responsible for the fake beard in Attack of the Clones. Um, it's like so it's like yeah. the Justice League situation where like there are these oh. reshoots for Attack of the Clones where like literally in the same scene all of a sudden Ewan McGregor will have a real beard and then it'll be like this horrible <laughs> patched on beard and I think it's because he had to yeah, leave Attack so of the Clones th- to shoot this, this is... and then Attack of the Clones wanted to do reshoots. So this happened before Attack of the Clones I think. Okay and, yeah I could have my time on wrong. Um, and it had the same stage booked mm-hmm. and they went long and had to um, vacate the stage to make room for Attack of the Clones to move in and I just I find it enjoyable to picture Ewan McGregor just stuck stuck on a green screen for both of these movies for such a long period of his life. Yeah, Poor guy. Yeah. This, <laughs> He's just stuck in the soundstage in Australia. This is <laughs> one of those years. big Hollywood movies that just fucked everything up for a couple years schedule-wise. Because this was like a seven-month over-budget sh- This is like an Eyes Wide Shut or a Mission Impossible 2, where just so many of these actors were supposed to go be in other big movies. They're like, yeah, no, I can't now, because I'm still shooting Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just stuck singing on top of this 60-foot-high elephant for <laughs> three weeks at a time. I was actually surprised when you told me, and I should probably look it up. Did you Did you figure out uh, what the budget for this was? $50 million. $50 yeah, million. I saw $50 that's million, it? Which Adjusted for inflation, that's probably closer to like $80 million or something. All right. But it still seems much it lower than It still seems small. If yeah. Bass like, Lerman made yeah, this Gatsby movie today, it would be $400 million. <laughs> Hands down. I, mean, how much I do wonder what this movie fast. would look like made today with like the visual effects. Because something mm-hmm. I do enjoy about this movie is that 
it's very effects heavy, but the effects aren't going for realism. I think because no. they couldn't. Yeah, capture that's a part I'm very on board with. Like, There's so it, yeah, it, it feels like I this mean, weird that... pop up book. Like, yeah, like the the their old timey Paris doesn't even look close to real. It looks like you know like a stage backdrop yeah, like or like know. a bunraku no. or something yeah well in the way you're talking about like like a storybook when you when you've got those sweeping moves over paris like it feels like it's segment segmented like a pop-up book where there are three layers that we are moving over there's yeah. not a, there's no completeness to this <laughs> probably <laughs> it because just it's like just backdrops. they had 2d still images you yeah. know and that's what it feels like yeah whereas like you look at gatsby and he'll just like do a complete CG recreation of right. 1920s New York. And to me, that's just not as interesting, even if it like technically looks better. Um, yeah. But you know, well, Gatsby's going for a different thing. Anytime, anytime they do an exterior in this movie, I think is green screen. I don't think any of that was ever built is, is the way it feels to me. There's moments where he's even just crying in front of the Moulin Rouge and still that feels like a green screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, there's, there's like the shot of it. It's like, they're having like a three person picnic, you know, where it's like, um, and the Duke mm-hmm. oh, thinks man, it's yeah. his that's picnic. Weird. And yeah, they're just, yeah, they're clearly just like on a green screen, like pretending to walk up a hill. But that's got like my favorite line where the Duke is, has no idea he's being cocked at. He's just like, my dear, look, a little frog. And he's just so happy to see this little frog. Man, the Duke is such a weird performance out of a movie full of weird performances. Yeah. yeah. That, his, his version of uh, Like a Virgin is so creepy. creepy. It's so creepy. <laughs> Yeah, his the way he can get like his mustache to twitch is incredible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, in a way that his... like makes you feel like you're being violated just looking at his mustache. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Um, I do want to shout out Jim Broadbent though, because like I just kind of sure. took him for granted when I was a kid, but watching it now, he's doing something incredible here, where his like his speaking voice goes through like eight different octaves. He's like wearing this big like fat suit. Like the way he moves is just like he's a hot air balloon. Um, he'll just like kind of twirl in and out of a scene, but then like on a dime, he can just be like very gravely serious and just like a really compelling, soft-spoken, dramatic actor. Yeah. And then he'll just do the broadest, like over-the-top uh, ham comedy. And I and I, I'm just here for it. Weirdly though, he won an Oscar this year for best supporting actor, but not for Moulin Rouge for some movie called Iris that I've never heard of and I'm never gonna watch. Um, yeah, this movie lost, by the way, to A Beautiful Mind um, for Best Picture. I feel like that's a bummer. Like, A Beautiful Mind is fine, but, <laughs> but it's, it's your favorite not a director, very... Ron Howard. I know, it's my favorite director, Ron Howard. <laughs> Everyone's favorite director, Ron Howard. Yeah, um, just like a really good uh, worldview and uh, strong directorial choices. And uh, he's, yeah. just, he's just oh, a good and he works guy. with the best writer, Akiva Goldsman, you know. <laughs> He's your favorite director, too, right, Gavin? I mean, he's America's favorite director. That's right. He's the Tom Hanks of directors. (laughs) Has never directed a movie. (laughs) I want to throw out to a couple more uh, running gags in this movie. Um, This Argentinian who opens the movie by falling through through Ewan McGregor's ceiling and leading him into Bohemia. Um, Now, why does he fall through? They really stick to that bit (laughs) of a narcoleptic actor who just... Keeps falling asleep mid performance and rehearsal. Yeah, that works for me. I'm on board. <laughs> it's great, yeah. but man, why do they let this man keep acting? I, I was thinking about that, like, like this show that they're putting on. If they had insurance, like, there's no way you get insurance for this production. Your no. two leads are someone with narcolepsy and someone with consumption. <laughs> like, yeah. it's a miracle they were able to get this one show, and it's just because Christian happened to stumble through. Yeah, uh, I mean. 
we 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 seem to understand like the 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 plot a little bit differently. But to me, it really seemed like they were turning the cabaret into a theater to be able to save the venue. And there's no way that show is more profitable than the cabaret they have going on. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, no, no, that, like... that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like, know. They make a lot more money. I mean, it's it's the thing, you know, when, if you're a businessman and you want to get in the arts, you'll make decisions that aren't good business decisions because you want to, you know, make something well, in the world. It's also the idea of like a lot of like the the art that they're portraying is like it's patronage. Like this is entirely funded by the Duke. This is already it's kind of like pre-selling it. They don't need to make money back on this. Okay. Is that that's the way I see it. So like the fact that they're that making right. this play at all means they're safe for like 3 months. Like they have the rents paid. Everyone's gonna eat eat well during this time period, and all they have to do is keep the Duke happy. It just becomes a very specific job, and the Duke is a very specific rich person who has also another person I want to shout out: his hitman, delightful, <laughs> just this looming bald figure who, at the end, when he finally like, so the Duke, of course, uh, puts a hit out on um, Christian. Christian has been um, spurned recently by Satine and is showing up to like get his like fuck you lady uh, note in. And it's just the hitman continuously almost shooting him. A light flashes or um, someone like drops from the ceiling and hits him, sending the gun flying. And then he's just kind of dancing in the play, which is all dressed in Bollywood, except for this one guy who's a British hitman dancing his way across the stage to the gun where it gets kicked continuously that bit never gets old for me <laughs> i did i did like it when uh, the gun gets kicked out of the window and bounces off of the eiffel tower <laughs> <laughs> like I, I i i've not been able to narrow down why some of the slapstick does not work for me at all uh like the the first scene with uh not the first ewan mcgregor uh, nicole dick Kidman and the Duke, where he's uh, he's basically hiding behind Nicole Kidman's dress and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just popping into frame, and Nicole Kidman has to like scream and bark like a dog to get the Duke's attention. But like Ewan McGregor's also just not trying to hide. That's what frustrates me. <laughs> he's just up looking at things. Everything about that sequence, I have I have very mean notes about it. I'll just say this is the worst type of slapstick. It doesn't work for me. I think it's just that one scene. If you remove the barking, it's fine. But if you kick no, a gun no out the notes. window and it bounces off of the newly constructed Eiffel Tower, I'm in. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about the best character in the movie. John Leguizamo. Which is, I was going to say the cartoon uh, moon that cartoon sings moon. Uh, in Italian. I, the best part about that to me is that you hear the voice for so long before you realize it's the moon. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like... <laughs> and he's always there. He's like, yeah. you th- It's not like one gag. He's like... Just oh, the moon sings in this yeah, movie. It's, it's like the uh, the sixth sense when you go back and watch it; it's all there. <laughs> uh, what is your guys's favorite and least favorite musical number in this in this movie? Mm, yes, good <laughs> question. Um, I, yes, in this. So movie. I used to, uh, do, that does narrow it down. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I used to hate like a virgin uh, when I was mm-hmm. younger. I think because of my uh, sexually repressive upbringing, I'm <laughs> just like this song's inappropriate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, but now I kind of love it just because it's just so dumb and I like, and they're just going for it. Like it's just it's pure camp. Um, 
But my favorite, I think, is definitely El Tango del Roxanne. Like, yes. that's just such a cool arrangement. And the way it's cross-cutting. I mean, you know, you talk, talk about the editing. editing I, you actually uh, get to see like... people dance in that one. And it would be so fucking yep. rude not to when you've got cool tango going on. Yeah. I'm also um, shocked I tried to... the movie didn't just name the character Roxanne. <laughs> yeah, it is weird that the, the movie doesn't, like, kind of bend over backwards plot-wise to fit these... Um, songs in the way that like across the universe does like mm-hmm. oh, right. this is so stupid i don't like across the universe no, but they're like we're gonna name a character prudence so we could sing dear prudence halfway yeah. through the movie and it's just like uh who cares just like tell a story is anyone named right. jude in that movie yeah Probably. i think i think yeah. uh, jim sturgis's name is jude sure yeah it's a bad movie <laughs> one i was very excited for too man that was such a I disappointing Ugh. julie Taymor. Yeah, there's there's a couple of those Beatles movies that uh, both uh, uh, across the universe and yesterday are movies that I'm like very excited for. And then I've just heard bad things. I'm not comparing them to each other because I haven't seen mm-hmm. either. I'm just saying like, oh, enough people told me like, yeah, not worth your time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, what, what is the Roxanne song actually called? It's just called Roxanne. Okay. Yeah. But it's also um, like that um, Argentinian, like, brogue singing it. It's, it's yeah. great. Roxanne, you don't have to put on that red light. Walk the streets for money. You don't care if it's wrong or if it is right. Roxanne. Also, that actor uh, is not Argentinian. He's Polish. Sure. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Which I did not realize until uh, this watch through. But I'm like, I'm weirdly kind of okay with it just because, like, that dude's got such a weird intensity that I'm just like, if that guy walks into a casting room, yeah. you're like, yeah, he's got the part. <laughs> also, like, he's not bulging veins in his face. playing, like, an actual person. He's playing a larger-than-life character. Yeah. He's I mean, pl- yeah, he's playing a cartoon yeah. narcoleptic. <laughs> or, at that point, like, I just whatever throw it out the window it's cool and they also yeah have like jean leguizama who's like what like puerto rican playing a french <laughs> is he Frenchman. supposed to be french <laughs> yeah i can't tell he's, he's playing a real person sure but who is that person within this movie <laughs> doesn't matter because there's almost no the most french thing in this movie is the occasional mustache from jim broadpent to the duke <laughs> Speaking of, if you can only keep uh, John Leguizamo or Jim Broadbent, who do you keep? Ooh, I, Jim, the yeah, I'd keep Ziggler. That's a real Sophie's choice, but I'm like, I feel like you need Jim Broadbent. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, you could get another character to fill the Toulouse role. I, it would be a bummer, though. I yeah. He's I don't know, I was watching Romeo plus Juliet as well. I realized just like John Leguizamo should be in everything Baz Luhrmann does because yeah. like, oh, he's so enjoyable. He's just got so much Juliet. range and. He just holds the screen so well. Like when he pops up in Romeo plus Juliet, you're just oh, like, yeah. "Where's this guy been the whole movie?" Yeah, I mean he he pops up in like the first scene, but sure. Yeah. Oh, you mean like later times? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, John Leguizamo. I've got nothing but love for John Leguizamo. He's still. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of these characters are occasionally just annoying me and speaking in ways that I cannot understand. Like maybe I should have put subtitles on for Moulin Rouge. <laughs> Because I don't understand a fucking word John Leguizamo said. 
John Leguizamo was saying. I will say, like, a lot of this movie is sound mixed in a way that I don't understand. In that opening number in the Moulin Rouge, Jim Broadbent and Nicole Kidman are just saying plot points to each other about the Duke, and I can't hear what's going on over the background sound, which is a complete yeah. post-edit, so, like, that's a choice. That's some Christopher I, Nolan shit. I feel like, shit. Sage, this is a problem with your soundbar, because every time I watched a, t- a movie <laughs> at your house, I can't hear anything. I really, I've But I watch stuff, like, on my own system. TV. And it's, it's, yeah, yeah, no, I, I feel hear, like I hear these soundbars, fine. though, are, like, set up in a way to like just kind of kill dialogue which is why like Mm -hmm. i don't know most of the time i'll just watch movies like just on like my onboard tv sound which i know is kind of sacrilege but like i'll take being able to hear stuff over like losing bass and you know well i mean you know surround sound stuff you know there are uh, i mean that is one big thing to watching this in the in a theater as opposed to on my decently sized tv aside from all the visual things it's also like the dynamic range between scenes are just like it's so loud and then and then everyone's kind of whispering to each other not quite as bad as romeo plus juliet yeah but it's just like i had to constantly adjust whereas like my ears would Mm -hmm. kind of do that better in a closed theatrical environment yeah, I'm surprised because yeah. this is the 20th anniversary of this movie, and um, I don't know. Given how little is out in theaters, I would happily watch a 20th anniversary re-release of this. It's weird that like Scott Pilgrim's getting a re-release in oh, Dolby, yeah. but like this movie that made you know hundreds of millions of dollars and was nominated for like eight Oscars, it's just kind of forgotten. Oh yeah, I should say this is a Disney movie now. Uh, oh god, so <laughs> it's never going to get re-released. Disney is going to bury this um, in lead. No. I'm fun. trying to think like well you back to your back to your, you're saying like favorite and least favorite musicals and um I'd say my favorite would go between either the sound of music and um your song but the more interesting one to me is that first musical moment in the Moulin Rouge that we keep talking about is like simultaneously one of my favorite and least favorite mo- it's like encapsulates so much because it is the most frenetic this movie is yeah it is the most painful this movie is with like the here we are now like the the uh smells like teen spirit and like it has barking in it it's we're about to meet Satine for the first time she comes in and does her thing and it comes back after doing diamonds are a girl's best friend goes back into their like if you can 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 energy yeah, um, which is a fat boy slim remix i did not realize that <laughs> makes sense but like that scene is so exhausting and wonderful and strange and painful it just it is the movie encapsulated in a lot of ways um it also has the um moment that sets up the whole film is like you were complaining about ziggler and satine talking to each other during like a quick change and popping their heads up and eyeing ewan mcgregor and the duke which is like classic farce it's great but it is again just like the movie at its most painful and best, it, and it's that's what this movie does is it bounces between those um, emotions for me at least, really like continuously. I mean, it, it certainly it certainly bounces between that uh, opening musical number is definitely a runner up for my least favorite. <laughs> There's just and also so favorite. little to. Li- I will say my <laughs> least favorite is uh, the uh, kind of I think it's a gazebo on the roof. And it's just mm-hmm. them singing that bullshit song about love where it's every 
every famous line with love in it gets parroted back and forth and it does not oh, work yeah. as an That's actual conversation it's, the it's love <laughs> very it's a very poor arrangement of an idea listen sage love is a many splendid thing love lifts us up where we belong all we need is love yeah <laughs> i used to be able to recite like that to each other let's try like, to use it like against it doesn't work to me it's it's sonically painful like i would never listen to that on my own i hated I, I hated it. It's, it's so much. <laughs> You're talking about that leads up to the moon singing. That's clearly Adam's favorite song. Yeah. It's a bad. It's a bad. Song. Well, yeah, so I, here's the, we here's the talk point about I wanted May, though, to, to make about that song. is that um, this the, this movie is portraying Ewan McGregor as like a, a once in a generation poet. Like he's he's picking songs from the future. This is literally what Baz Luhrmann has said. Okay. Um, and. I, I I get that I, idea. Like he's he's drawing on things that that people at his time can't even comprehend. He's using the power of love to pick songs for the future. Uh, but to me, like I know these songs, and I'm just seeing Ewan McGregor stealing from different artists. I don't think he's creating this into existence. It's just like, oh no, mm-hmm. I'm going to use all these songs that already exist, and like. You know, neither of these things are in the text, but, like, I can't get Lerman's interpretation of that because of, like, no, I know this Beatles song. You're just singing a Beatles song. It's this... That's the, that's the, that's the drawback of a jukebox musical. Like, yes. I, I agree with that complaint. And that's that's why this is, like, one of the few movies that I feel like does manage to escape that. Okay. Because it, it jumps all over the place in such a way that you can't settle down for most of the time, which yeah kind of gets you out of that part of your head for me at least i guess i I agree i i don't like jukebox musicals for that very reason we'll definitely talk about this more on like other musical episodes that we do but musicals for me the ones that really work are when jukebox musicals no when things actually advance the plot which rather than stopping to just sing about an idea or just having a, a dance number that could be cut from the movie in terms of what's actually happening or advancing characters like i want things to advance character decisions and advance the plot and doing that through song then you're objectively not wasting my time and i do not feel like this movie does that with a few exceptions i will say i would argue that when when they're coming up with the with the overall plot for the movie and they're just doing that on the spot to the duke that is going to be my next favorite musical number because i was Mm -hmm. i was subtly enjoying the movie yeah. at that point i'm like yes just coming up on the fly just like we are writing the movie we're in right now <laughs> i like that yeah. and it's full on like calling the shot of the ending where the duke's just like oh and in the end should someone die and they're yeah. like um we hope not yeah. <laughs> well they're just like uh we we as much as we're inviting you to have creative uh and artistic influence on this we're never going to respond to anything you say which is a very good bit yeah <laughs> Um, I, I want to talk about uh, Come What May real quick because the song that from is Romeo the only... plus Juliet. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's the only original song in this movie. Uh, I think it's great. I think it's a great like modern musical like duet. Like I don't, mm. I don't know, it, it works really well in a um, a story capacity. Um, sure, yeah, in that yeah like broad ap- operatic kind of thing. But then it's also just a good song, and they couldn't get nominated because they wrote it for Romeo plus Juliet, which I cannot fathom how this fits into Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> yeah, like, no, that's a good we point. We just watched that last night. I'm like, where where do you put that song in? You know, um, that's pretty. But funny. it fits really well here. You put it in between uh, uh, Maria and uh, when you're a jet, you're jet all the way. <laughs> and Officer Krupke, I would that's argue where it goes into real the... quick that that love conversation though is like that's the main crux of that middle part of that movie 
is he believes so strongly in love and she deals in, you know, a different kind of love and doesn't have or make room for, which is like, that's the discussion they're having. That is the plot of the film. It is not just an idea like that is more integral to the plot than, say, Roxanne. Right. Yes. Which is a big like, well, Roxanne kind of goes through some of those same things. But <sighs> yeah, Roxanne no, is that, a redressing the, mm. of things that have already happened. That love song. I, I, yeah, I understand. I, your, I understand your concerns. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to point out that you're, you know, you're. No, I understand just... why that's in there, but it's like it's also not a thing that's not hit over the head like eight other times mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah, I don't. That's called. That's called. You know, hitting you are. over the head <laughs> is what it's called. Yeah, uh, it's a delight. Oh my god, um, <laughs> Gavin! I asked oh. you. Uh, as as the resident cinematographer on the on the podcast, when we started okay. uh, being able to do proper slow motion in movies, because I don't really know the answer to this. Well before this. Well before this. All right. I, I, I believe. Yeah. No. It's, yeah. Um, it, you just move film through the camera really fast. They they, they had that well before two thousand. We had, we were already in the video age at this point. Yeah. And that's like this is this is MTV. This part of this is it's taking massive. Um, influence from mtv like this is a very musical uh, or a music video inspired musical um i don't know there's a lot of slow motion in this movie and i know what you're what you're pointing to is that it looks very um they're using a they're they're kind of blur they're using a lot of motion blur in it but they're also using not a lot of frames so the slow motion is kind of jittery and motion blurry which is a very specific effect that they're achieving for this movie. It is more popular at this time. I don't, to me, I can never tell if it's actually on purpose or not. If, cause that is the way that you could, you, you could just put things in slow motion later and it would look like this and it would be something that you're reaching into your bag of tricks later. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so um, there's a, there's a term for I feel like I'm I'm blanking on the term, but I I know what you're talking about, Sage. Where it's where you shoot in 24 frames per second, but you want to slow it down in post, and so you just kind of duplicate frames, and that's yeah. how you get the kind of jittery look. But it's like now I've noticed that with digital cameras, it's so much easier just to shoot anything you think maybe you might want in slow motion later. Just like crank the frame rate to like 48 yeah. or like 120. What's the difference? Um, and it's no problem. But when you're shooting on film you you can't like yeah you have to really know that you're gonna do uh slow motion on this otherwise you're doubling how much film you're shooting and also it's gonna be a nightmare to edit something you shoot in 48 frames down to 24 frames it's also Uh, how much light you need too you yeah so if you're shooting on film um at this point one thing you maybe don't have that we have now is like we have really sensitive film stocks we have really we have more sensitive um and digital is like low light king compared to film especially at this time so on some of these scenes you'd have to just like double your lighting budget to get to the values you want it would take more time so i, I mean maybe that again i don't know i still don't know if it was planned or not i feel like he's like oh we can just slow it down in post it seems <laughs> like there's, there's, there's a there's lot, a of, lot of probably it, it <laughs> seems like especially in like the like first like third of the movie it seems like there's just a lot of like baz just like shooting whatever seems like fun mm-hmm. at the moment and it's like we'll worry about it later. So there's I like very a, much heard a million that. setups of all these weird cutaways of like 
Siamese twins or there's here's like a dwarf playing the bongos and you're just mm-hmm. like none of this means anything but like they just shot it and they're gonna put it in somewhere yeah some of that <laughs> yeah. were and i've heard I've very much heard that about lerman's shooting style the get down famously went wildly over budget because it's like we're gonna mm-hmm. cover everything from 19 angles because i'm gonna make the movie later <laughs> yeah yeah and uh he's not like a hitchcock yeah. where it's like i've storyboarded everything perfectly and i know ex- exact which edits i'm going to use he's he's a yeah i'm gonna gather my groceries and then figure out what i'm cooking <laughs> later kind of guy yeah which if money if money wasn't an issue i would call that a completely valid way to make a movie i guess it's not an issue in some cases <laughs> I mean, he made his money back on this. Um, Australia lost a shit ton of money. Um, right. But I think this and Gatsby were both pretty big hits uh, financially. It's just There's just no justice in the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You got more? You got more bits or should we move on to our final judgments? Oh, I, I, I made a note of it. So I just want to bring it up um, that canonically Ewan McGregor's character in this movie has a big old dick. Um, <laughs> and I just think it's funny that they made a point to like assure you well, twice both in oh, like an yeah. innuendo and a direct line yeah okay he may be a penniless writer but he's got a he's packing he's packing mm-hmm. speed that mirrors um, well with the note i have which is this is terrible innuendo <laughs> but uh, he's got a huge awful. talent <laughs> well uh, okay actually that's a scene that we've kind of we've, we've mentioned a few times but leading up to when they first meet and she still thinks he's the yeah. um the duke one character uh, th- is there to fuck the other person for money and one right. person just wants to read some poetry and yeah. somehow right. it's like yeah Which my poem's really long <laughs> yeah it's quite modern what i yeah. do and it may be a little strange at <laughs> you first might but need i think to you like might out. like it <laughs> it's yeah. just like I, it's just so forced oh it's 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 so delightfully I, awkward i hated it i hated it so much and that <laughs> that scene turns well, into something i love once everyone's there they're doing all the plot stuff when she but and she's also like yelling out like uh oh your dirty words naughty don't stop and it's just like oh god this is so painful and beautiful at the same time it's one of those things to me (laughs) uh so what'd you guys think about this movie is it uh are we is it are we are we are we we putting this into a one of three categories we are putting it into one of three categories adam are our categories uh for is this still good the first one is is this still good the second is, uh, is it better as a memory? And uh, the third one is, I guess, should it burn down in 1915 and never be rebuilt? <laughs> in real life, trying to figure the out Moulin Rouge reference. was rebuilt. Oh, it burned down. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Though this, like, they rebuilt it as a tourist attraction, but this actual building burns down a couple years after this movie. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that I don't know how, like, every building didn't burn down. <laughs> <laughs> before like yeah. fire extinguishers it, and you know it, well it probably burned down with like a quarter of the city i don't know that much about yeah france <laughs> um no i say this movie is definitely still good it's i'm certainly biased because of how much i loved it as a kid but like i don't know i can go back and watch space jam and know that space jam's a bad movie even though i still have some fondness for it <laughs> this i feel like is just such a wild one-of-a-kind um artistic swing and like yeah, there's never really been a movie quite like this, even though there is sort of The Greatest Showman, but The Greatest Showman is, like, so edited down, and it's, like, two different directors, and it's really compromised in what it's yeah. trying to say. It's forgettable. Um, and then you'll have, have something like La La Land, which is similarly, like, um, experimental in its style, and 
whatnot. But that movie's also that movie's like a ten million dollar indie scrappy movie. This is like a huge studio commercial movie. Um that was just such a big like crossover hit. You know, we haven't really talked about like Lady Marmalade, but that was like a cultural phenomenon for a bit. You know, this soundtrack was so big they had to release like two <laughs> separate soundtracks because they couldn't get enough of the songs on the compact disc. Um yeah, every time I watch it, um, it gets me at the end. I like, I cry. I find like, new kind of funny things to laugh about and like the performances. Um, I think about Jim Broadbent doing his weird spinny thing where he just says, "Everything's mm-hmm. going so well," and he does like weird <laughs> jazz hands. You know, like, there's just so much to enjoy in this movie, even if I know it's not for everyone. So I would say yes, this movie is still good. But if you don't like it, that's fine, and I get it. How polite. Sage, do you wanna do you wanna jump in the middle here? Um, yeah, sure. I think uh the idea of having any emotional reaction to this movie other than anger and occasional <laughs> enjoyments uh is just a completely foreign concept to me. I really I really wanted to like this movie. I kind of thought enough time had passed and my sensibilities were different from college that I would be able to get into this movie. And as we've heard, there are parts of this movie I like. I think there might even be a a edit of this movie I really enjoy with the existing footage with stuff take it out with with stuff less frenetic I think there's a version in there that would make this I don't know better as a memory for me um but I just have such negative reactions to most of the characters, most of the themes, most of the staging. And like I said, there's a list of notes where it's just like, I wish I was watching blank movie right now. This is an inferior version of what this does. Uh, Whether it's Big Fish, whether it's The Greatest Showman, which again, not a movie that I'm really promoting at all. You don't need to see Greatest Showman. That's going to be very much better as a memory. Um, I wish I had some more in here, but it's just... I found a lot of this movie very painful. Uh, I'm fine never seeing this movie again. I'm ne- I'm fine um, never thinking about this movie again. And I guess I wish consumption upon it. Wow. <laughs> well, to cap it out, I think this movie is very much still good. <laughs> We've got our, our, our first uh, still good um, never speak of it again sandwich, I think. I think this is a first. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I I, th- I think this I think this movie's super enjoyable. I I think it's like like you said, part of it is just the singularity of it. Like there isn't another movie that is this movie, uh, which sounds dumb because you can say about every movie in certain ways, but like it feels so so separate. Um, when you compare it to Real Big Fish or um. The Greatest Showman. I just don't think either of those are close to the energy <laughs> Wait, or so you, themes that this has. You just said it's real just, big fish. Uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> which has I, tons yeah. of energy. <laughs> which, by the way, I am fair, working fair. on my real big fish music <laughs> musical. It, it's just it, this movie's so nuts. It's it's so wild. I think that like it it does hit like uh, guilty pleasure moments a lot. There's also moments where like I do think it kind of drags towards the end. Like. Um, when it is more melodrama, which like that's part of melodrama. I do like melodramas, but like this is a very much a melodrama too. Um, it's just overall though, it's so exciting and strange and it's fun trying to demystify it for yourself. Um, I will say though, weirdly, I would not put this musical, like I would not put this CD on. I would not listen to the soundtrack by itself. There are a couple tracks that maybe like 
I do like the Roxanne tango version. Yeah. It's fun. Um, I think Ewan McGregor singing your song, I do like more than Elton John's version. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and like, it's a fun version of Nature Boy. It's not the best version of Nature Boy. But um, despite the, and that that's how, that's the way I feel about a lot of musical soundtracks is they work better in context, which again, almost like, exclusively. Some, somehow this, somehow this movie escapes the jukebox uh, musical kind of curse for me where that is not a genre I'm drawn to despite liking musicals. Uh, this movie is just wild and strange enough and almost disguises the songs as unrecognizable in a way that it makes it very much its own, uh, which again leads to its uniqueness, even if some of them are kind of forced in just out of the nature of uh, jukebox musicals. So yeah, very much still a good movie. Uh, yeah, go watch it. All right, yeah. Pick <laughs> pick which host you like the most and decide if you're going to watch Moulin Rouge again or not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the... I'm going to try to be nicer from now on. Uh, the, the amount of awards recognition and, and box office returns of this movie kind of astonished me, but it, it did do very well. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like, what that means... For the world, because Baz Luhrmann has not done as many movies as I thought he had. <laughs> he's only done yeah, five he's got movies, like six, yeah, five, and he's working six, on. Yeah. He mostly does like perfume commercials. You look at his IMDb; there's like a decade oh, where yeah. he's just shooting stuff for Dior with Nicole Kidman, and <laughs> it's like he's probably making so much more money on those. Oh yeah, I can imagine he's a his wildly successful in-demand commercial director with that. Mm -hmm with that style and yeah we, we also haven't mentioned by the way um he's his wife um is also his production designer and costume uh oh wow creator i'm blanking on her name she does not have his last name um so i'm forgetting it's Catherine something i apologize Bigelow. to Catherine something <laughs> you're <Hardwick>. very talented <laughs> um, but but it's just interesting i don't know any other director who's married um to their production designer Catherine martin that's her name um and like she only works on movies with Baz. Um, and I do think that's a, uh, an element of like what makes his movies so visually interesting. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. you know, just the way it works, you know, you see the name of the director, you give him or her most of the credit, but I, I it does seem like a huge collaboration there. Kind of like uh, yeah. Chris Nolan and his, uh, his wife, who's uh, his producer. And of course I don't know her name either. Cause I am a bad Emma. <laughs> something, <laughs> um, some sort of Emma. But yeah, I just want—I just wanted to shout her out because um, the look yeah. of this movie is very wild, and the costumes are incredible. And you know, they built a giant sixty-foot elephant, and <laughs> so that's built. That's not just a—I thought that was just a no, that's um, more CG extension. No, it's they built a sixty-foot tall elephant, and so when they're singing like uh, the elephant love medley, they're actually mm -hmm. on wires because if they slipped, they would die. <laughs> wow! Um, so you can see behind the scenes of like they've got harnesses on. Yeah, so it's like. A full-scale full elephant, and, and then there's a bigger interior set that they also built. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, looking at it now, right. now you definitely not build that set No, No, so a lot of this would be done digitally and successfully. It would, it would cost a lot A lot more. of this was done digitally. I, that's why I, I said mean, and anyway. successfully. <laughs> like, th this is one of the things I do agree with you on, is, like, how shitty some of the digital stuff looks, like, really adds to the charm. None it of works. it bothers yeah. me. It works regardless of intent uh, yeah but this is also like two years before sky captain the world of tomorrow and <laughs> mm -hmm. I, there are moments where like the aesthetics really line up of just that that really early um 
new frontier of digital color grading and green screen and you know just uh, adding like digital uh, film effects on stuff yeah. that you know we're like that's a the, movie that I I really wish I liked more. I, I kind of want to rewatch it. I remember loving trailer. it when I was fourteen. Um, yeah, it was totally up my alley, and I bet it does not hold up in the slightest. That's uh, um, I have some friends that do a whole podcast about that. So, oh, interesting. <laughs> So Baz Luhrmann, um, for the most exclusively, I haven't seen Strictly Ballroom, so I can't speak on anything, but he mm-hmm. he does historical dramas, period pieces, and or adaptations. That's been his whole that's been his whole bag. Like Moulin Rouge was a real place. Some of these characters exist. And we I don't think we've even mentioned it, but there's been several other Moulin Rouge movies. I don't know if they're the same plot or if they have anything in common. I would imagine the the plot's so simple and musical friendly that it is from the earlier ones. Uh, Romeo plus Juliet's obviously a 500 year old script that they found. Like we'll put it at Venice Beach. <laughs> we'll make it weird as fuck. Uh, don't know what Australia is about. Great Gatsby's Great Gatsby. Get Down like has real people in it and is about a specific time. Um, I really like the get down. I'm going to I'm going to throw that out there. I think his sensibilities and and the energy in that works a lot better for hip hop than uh, cabaret. And I think upcoming he's got a biop. You were telling me this. He's got a biopic about Elvis's early years. (laughs) I mean, he's got a biopic about Elvis's early years. Um, Has this come up, Gavin, how Sage says the word biopic wrong? Mm. I feel like we argue. Uh, Is there a right way to say it? Well, it's it's short. For, it's a it's an abbreviation of bi- biographical picture, so it's weird to emphasize the io. When yeah, because we biopic, never do that in the English. We picture. never just take uh, shortenings and make them sound differently. And well, by by stressing the o, it's making it seem like you're. It's like a bi is in Latin for two. Yeah, opic. it's b opic. Um, yeah, because you you watch it with both of your eyes. <laughs> but it's a biographical picture, anyway. Uh, I don't know. Amy Nicholson also says it wrong, so I guess if you're, you're in good company. <laughs> that I might be where I get it from. I, I just, you know, he also the way he says uh, tour and okay uh, roof. <laughs> you know, I just kind of let things go. I, I there's limitations to how the boy speaks. It's fine. Not what this podcast is about. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I'm excited for Bez's uh, Elvis movie. I mean, the dude only has yeah five movies, so I'm obviously all. I'll watch his next big swing. I hope it's good. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it's bad because he's right. kind of not had the best track record. But I'm still hoping he's got another like masterpiece in him, or at the very least, another interesting failure. Right? Because um, yeah. you know, even thing, Australia it's... is like no one else is making a movie like Australia, so I'll I'll give him that. I I loved the Get Town until I didn't. Like part one was excellent, and part two kind of just goes off the rails. And that's just kind of how Boz Lerman does things. It's just like it's just over a longer it's this, form. <laughs> it's this, yeah, and that's that's the danger of it. Like I think his if he was forced into an hour and thirty minute film, I don't think he could mess it up. I think it like that would be fascinating to see him deal with some constraints like that. I, would I don't love think that. that's the way he can work. Yeah, Moulin Rouge, um, thirty minutes shorter is a, is a lot better movie for me. <laughs> and the, the get down. You know, again, similarly, if that was just like a single season show, and I mean, it is like those two seasons are six episodes each. There's just a marked difference to me. There's animation in the second one. Yeah, which didn't help. I I think it's as someone who loves animation, it's just not very good looking and doesn't really work as well with the story that he's 
the main story kind of gets it is weird to like have animation. it come in was essentially halfway through the show um I, I bring yeah. all of this up, Baz Luhrmann's fascinating career, because it is it is reboot time. We're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s. Oh, it's not a remake, it's a reboot. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity. What the fuck is a reboot? So all they do now is recycle shit from the past. We're working on less of a shriekle and, and more of a screamake. Expect us all not to notice. I like it. Another! <laughs> And I want to do it a little bit differently this time. Rather than rebooting Moulin Rouge 20, minute, 20 years later, uh, which I just don't think would happen because it's a, it's a Disney film now. Disney owns the rights to this. And I don't think there's any version of Disney's Moulin Rouge that any of us want to see. I don't know. It's just going to be The Greatest Showman. Uh, do you think Disney's just going to start releasing stuff under the 20th century banner and like not do it under... like? They have, because they were funding, um, you know, Disney money went into, if I'm not mistaken, like a lot of those 90s, like Pulp Fiction, I think was made with some, was Disney well, money involved? Well, they had like Touchstone and is, yeah. um, Hollywood Pictures. So they had a couple of offshoots that would make like non-Disney movies right. yeah. under the Disney umbrella. And there's still um, that, um, you know, is, is Touchstone, I think is, I forget which yeah. Disney's like adult Castle version Rock, is. I think is also The thing Disney. is like now Disney owns so many IPs that they can profit off of that like, I just think other companies are going to have to make those type of movies because there's not really mm-hmm. any incentive for Disney to do it. Um, we can see it even all the Fox properties that they snatched up like a lot of those just got stopped making because at a certain point Disney's only competing with itself yeah, yeah. and they only want to make movies that are going to make like a billion dollars so yeah. you know they'll do another alien movie hoping that you know they'll get another huge alien hit yeah um, but a lot of things but I through. don't think they're going to do something like reboot like a weird musical from right. 20 years ago probably not so back so, to Boz Lerman's so Alien what story, what whether it's an adaptation, whether it's a historical period, what would you like to see Baz Luhrmann put his own spin on and come out in theaters next year? Fast and the Furious 9. <laughs> Holy shit, Baz Luhrmann doing a Fast and Furious movie. Um, yeah, Baz Luhrmann's Torque 2. <laughs> um, I, I mean, honestly, yeah, give, give, him, give him like a... A motor, like a BMX drama. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mentioned this to you, Sage, earlier, and I was only half kidding, but I do think Baz would make a very interesting Hamilton. I know they sh- probably shouldn't and won't give Hamilton to, uh, you know, a white Australian dude, but mm-hmm. I, I do think he's just, he really gets music in a way that a lot of people who direct musicals, him, Tom Hooper, uh, don't get. And I think, you know, if you've got something as big as like Hamilton, you want someone who's going to take a huge visual cinematic swing sure. because otherwise we might as well just watch, you know, the the stage version. Yeah, nothing um, makes me angrier than when um, God, those, all those Tom Hooper movies are so bad. It's just because like, what if it was on a stage, but with all the trappings of a movie? <laughs> yeah. Lame is is bad. Yeah, Lame is is real bad. Terrible. Yeah. And I know you keep Bosler trying to get me to watch Mad Cats. But... Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I would love to see Baz Luhrmann and George Miller team up. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> actually, yeah, I think would have kind of similar... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mad Max musical. Yeah, I'd be into that. They're both mm-hmm. Australian bros. They'll, they'll hang yeah. out. Yeah, all Although, it does seem like George Miller would beat up Baz Luhrmann. Because I, I just watched some like video on the, the Blu-ray from Moulin Rouge. And he is just like... He's just in a like a... Like a $500 black t-shirt with like a scarf and like multiple bracelets uh, and you're just like 
I think George Miller would just punch Bessler. It's <laughs> just like go fight in a war, you you hippie. Um, I don't know why I think Bessler or George Miller is some like bully, but that's the vibe I get. I know it's something that would get filtered, but after realizing that Moulin Rouge was essentially like Bollywood sensibilities, which is another reason why there's so many tonal dramatic shifts and um, and yeah, a lot of things that that do and don't land. I've got complicated mm-hmm. feeling, feelings learning that it was inspired by Bollywood because I love a lot of Bollywood stuff, but I think a lot of it just does not translate to to a Western movie. Uh, but another movie that should be much more inspired by Bollywood than it is, um, I wish Baz Luhrmann had done Aladdin because it does not one it does not feel like a Guy Ritchie movie except for like two points that was a complete waste of Guy Ritchie and in my in my idea, like, Disney is not beating over the heads and, like, you are making this specific movie. But Baz Luhrmann taking, mm-hmm. taking the animated Aladdin and being like, here's $150 million. It has to be less than two hours long. All right. Um, I, I'm changing my, my uh, answer because I remember they still haven't made the live-action Hunchback of Notre Dame yet. <laughs> and I do think that's, like, an animated movie that's so close to being good and that's the only Disney live action uh, adaptation I want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Because, yeah, it's so close to being like a perfect like movie musical. But then there's all these dumb stuff with like Jason Alexander playing a gargoyle and like yelling <laughs> at pigeons. It's just like it's it's so adult a... and interesting. And then like they're like, oh, shit, we got to make a Disney movie for kids. Quick slap something that farts on it. Um, who, who do you so, yeah. cast for Baz Luhrmann? So is that John Leguizamo as the Hunchback, uh, Hunchback or as a statue? Gargoyle, right? <laughs> oh, who? Jim Broadbent. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm like, I want John Leguizamo to be Frollo, the like the evil judge priest. Mm. Mm. I, don't, I haven't seen, like, I want to see, like, 60s John Leguizamo just, like, get, like, a huge part. I don't know. <laughs> I actually, speaking of Aladdin, I know John Leguizamo played the genie in an adaptation of Aladdin made for TV that's pretty decent. I don't know how good that holds up. And but, uh, it was this like one of the, the live action Disney ones, or was this Return of Jafar? Or this was in no, this was a uh, made for TV Arabian Nights oh, okay. series, and they do the story of Aladdin, and we get John Leguizamo as a pretty scary genie kind of great all right that does sound fun off topic he's just a great john leguizamo was really... great and and we all wish it, him the best yeah i still have nightmares about his character from spawn <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it was very frightening as a child fair very he's he's frequently frightening at things uh have, I you, have always... you done spawn on this podcast yet we haven't yet it'll probably happen <laughs> all right so if you guys liked moulin rouge what are some other things you think our audience might enjoy? Or theoretically, if you hated Boulan Rouge, uh, what would you recommend instead? <laughs> I, I want to tie this into thinking a little bit more about um, those jukebox musicals. There is like something that has come to prevalence recently in like, you know, Beyonce doing visual albums. Um, there's a few of those narratives that I've, I don't know if I paid as much attention to them as when they came out, but like revisiting those are kind of interesting. And they never quite work for me again, but like Interstellar 555, Mm -hmm. the Daft Punk like anime and Guava Island, the Childish Gambino like mini movie, mini movie. Yeah, Yeah. they both almost work. They're both worth watching, 
Um, they're not perfect, but like those are kind of interesting things. And I hope that that kind of that's something where rather than a jukebox musical, like one artist actually being involved in the process is really interesting mm-hmm. to me. And or same like Dirty Computer is almost there as well. Uh, that's a little bit less of a narrative, I'd argue. Yeah, it's Chanel like Monet's kind of framing device. Yeah, yeah, but those are really interesting. I, I, so check those out if you if you're into this movie. Yeah, you recommended a bunch of things I like. <laughs> Adam, you got anything? Um, no. <laughs> Australia, you've been saying. <laughs> oh yeah, or uh, shoot, I'm perfect. Okay, so let me rephrase. Sorry, I was distracted because I was sending you the, the link to the Muppet uh, thing, <laughs> so you can put it at the end. Of so the you episode. recommend the Muppet? The Muppet? Yeah, I get it. I suppose. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything kind of like this in terms of like just a totally out there movie musical, and. I don't know. Um, I, I actually, you know, I would recommend The Greatest Showman because The like, Greatest Showman is like a dumber, hollower version of this. Mm-hmm. But I do think the songs in that movie are really good and really fun. And that's just like a fun <laughs> movie to like watch with like a bottle of wine. Um, there's a weird thing where like I just every now and then will just get drunk and really want to watch The Greatest Showman. It's like it's like my Taco Bell. Um, okay. It's got it's got a Taco Bell vibe. I can that see is, that. that. Yeah, is we're fair. like this isn't good, but it's like it's it's scratching some itch right now. Yeah, I feel like it's a mediocre film with two great scenes. Yeah, the the bar bar me. scene with Efron and Jackman is just yeah. delightful, incredible. Yeah. All right. I think I think I've mentioned all of these at this point, but if you want to watch Ewan McGregor uh, hang out in weird environments Attack with a lot forms. of uh, circus folk and uh, little people, watch Big Fish. If you want a dumbed-down version of Moulin Rouge with more classical vibes, watch The Greatest Showman. And if you want a really solid jukebox musical that's actually about something, watch Happy Feet. Um, would you watch a shot-for-shot shot remake of this movie, but it's Mumbles instead of Ewan McGregor? Is this like, like a... Everywhere, it's a... <laughs> I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I watch it. That like, doesn't mean you, I'll, I'll that... like it, because like... I, <laughs> I talk about Happy Feet all the time. Have you ever heard me say anything about Happy Feet 2? Because I've watched it. Yeah. There's some great shrimp jokes in it. Mm-hmm. Some great puns. But it's just not worth thinking about. So, like, you could I mean, keep they're, making they're Happy Feet forever. And I'd keep watching them. And occasionally they'd be good. Yeah. That's I did notice, what like, the third movie is going to be called is Happy, Happy Feet Forever. I hate that. Just like when Bad Boys, the, no, Bad Boys for Life is the third movie, and you should not count oh. the third movie of anything as forever or for life. Because what are you going to do for the fourth movie? It's dumb. I, they should have called it Happier Feet, and then they can call the third Happiest Feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or Happy Foots. <laughs> like how they had it Die Hard and then Die Harder, but then they chickened out on Die Hard. Happy with Feet with a Vengeance. <laughs> Live for your happy feet. All right. Well, I think that dumbass joke is going to take feet. us out. A good day to happy feet. That'll take us out of uh, <laughs> a very the beginning of musical May. Thank you so much for joining us, Adam. Is there anywhere we can find you on the internet if we have strong opinions? Um, I'm on Twitter at Adam Wrightgood. W R I T E Wrightgood. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on it. I mainly repost other people's things and then I'll, I'll tweet late at night when no one's reading and then usually delete the tweets in the morning. Bold move. (laughs) 
getting that East Coast audience. So you got to use the way back machine to, to catch Adam in the act. Yeah. The letterbox plug? Oh, yeah. I'm also on letterbox at Adam Boyer. Um, B-O-I-E-R. Um, yeah. You can read my pithy uh, half-assed movie reviews <laughs> there. You can find my pithy half-assed uh, Instagram posts over at Gavin V. Murray. You you can see pictures of my cat, and uh, someday I'll get on planes and go places. But you can find me at Hold for Plane on various things. You can find us at Still Good Pod. Uh, send us a DM if you hate Moulin Rouge like me. <laughs> so, w- w- what's gonna what's gonna play us out here, Gavin? Probably your song. Should we should we all sing it together? I'm not gonna be able to. How beautiful life is. Now you're in the world on the roof And I kicked off the moss Well, some of these voices Well, they got me quite cross But the sun's been kind While I wrote this song it's for people like you that keep it turned on. So excuse me for getting, but these things I do. You see, I've forgotten if they're green or they're blue. joining us <laughs> we all bailed on you Kevin. i'm so sorry that's fine you know it's okay <laughs>